1: Welcome back Hello Thanks for listening
0: Um, What are we talking about today?
1: Um, Well last week we talked about uh, children and childhood and who gets to be a child and Mm -hmm. we thought it was a nice segue um, into a totally different topic
0: About childhood
1: About childhood Um, We're going to talk today about vaccines um, and the kind of, the question around uh, children and health and science and pseudoscience. But we're coming at this because you recently were laid low by a childhood illness.
0: I had chicken pox.
1: You had chicken pox.
0: And then Claire, my wife, also had chickenpox. There was a box on my entire house.
1: Just to be clear... You aren't children.
0: (laughs) Well, no. I mean, not officially. Not officially. Yeah. We're children at heart. (laughs) No, we are in our mid to late thirties and I had chickenpox.
1: What was it like having a childhood illness as a grown-up? Well, you
0: laughed at me a lot.
1: Well, I did <laughs> so, so partly I'm after you, not because you've got chicken pox, but because your parents are doctors. yes. and I would have assumed, and also you have you tell stories about like family, like yes. being around cousins yeah, and yeah, like yeah. growing up with lots of kids yeah. around. And normally, when you are around children, like I had yeah. chicken pox as a very young child because I went to daycare. My mom yeah. worked full- time, yeah. so I went to like nursery and then daycare mm. and then preschool and whatever. Yeah. so, I had chickenpox because I was exposed to it as a child. So I just would have assumed that either you would have had it as a child or at some point your parents would have vaccinated you. My parents don't
0: believe in vaccination.
1: I just don't believe that that's true.
0: No, it's not true. I just can't. I just don't believe that. My mum offered me vaccination and I was like, nah, I I won't get it. It'll be fine. How old were you? Probably last summer. (laughs) (laughs) Or the summer before.
1: The point at which you. Contracted it, and then it was incubating in your system. Yeah,
0: um, no, it's so um, we we are. I mean, I was. Uh, we are both too old to have had the vaccine as as children. It wasn't it wasn't a thing then; it didn't exist. Um, and I should have listened to my mom of course. Always, we, we are, should, always, should listen always listen to our mom's. moms.
1: This is your like weekly reminder yeah, yeah. that if you haven't listened to your mom lately, do it. Listen to your mom.
0: Um, In terms of what it was like to have a childhood disease, it was really, really uh, interesting Uh, in terms of the packaging of all the medicine and all the, you know, you Google, because when you first get it, you think this might be chickenpox, but you don't go to the doctor because you don't want to infect everyone. Uh, So you Google, you Google images. And of course, all the images you get are children. Creepy. Yeah. Yeah. And you get like when after it's confirmed that it is chicken box, and you get the gels and creams and whatever, and they all come with photographs of children on them, uh, because they're all targeted at children. And you know you you get uh, tips as to why don't you t- turn it into a game to see if you can join all the dots uh, of the of the box? And you're like, well, yeah, but I'm not five. <laughs> <coughs> Uh, you're
1: not so easily distracted from yes, your pain. Yes.
0: Um uh, but it was it was an interesting view especially as someone who doesn't have children and a lot of the world of children is a world we're not familiar with. Uh it was interesting to see how both in terms of marketing and in terms of um uh suggestions and advice and tips it was it was assumed that these are Illnesses that affect you as a child, because they do. Yeah,
1: and the the there's a long history, of course, of childhood illnesses. And I think yes. one of the one of the amazing things about medical science yeah. is that if you are lucky enough to be to have the capital to access uh, medical care, or if you live in a place where it's available to you, or uh, you are. Uh, provided it because the state deems you to be worth keeping alive, you know, if you are lucky enough to be in that position, then it means that, you know, you're more likely to live longer because medical science has quite successfully eradicated step-by-step many of the childhood illnesses that have killed kids.
0: Or rather should have done more. Yes. And this is why we are talking about our episode today.
1: Yes. This is a clearly a kind of um, global North, Western Europe, United States type f- focused conversation. I am mm. aware that mm. obviously discussions around vaccines and access to healthcare is is different in other parts of the world that aren't quite as lucky as mm. the countries where we live. Mm. Um, and there are campaigns, of, of course, to kind of eradicate illnesses that mm. don't, that don't don't exist anymore Mm. in the countries where we live. So Mm. obviously, you know, that's the the kind of the post-colonial caveat here. Um, But there is a really fascinating and has been for a long, long time Mm. debate around vaccines when I think there shouldn't be. Because, of course, what we should debate Mm. are things that, you know, political positions... Mm you know, are for. Yeah. Uh, science that has been kind of verified and repeated and tested yeah. um, and and over a long period of time there has, yeah. uh, you know, developed an expert consensus around mm. that kind of science probably shouldn't be considered up for political
0: debate. You know, um, climate change, evolution.
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, and, and you can argue that birth control for women Mm. Is effective, mm. you know. Biologically, it's effective. Mm. We can also talk about the kind of historical injustices that were done by, mm. you know, testing it without mm. consent on, you know, Puerto Rican women patients, for yeah. example. Those two, it,
0: yeah.
1: the what, the history of it, the history and injustice. Mm. And kind of racist inequality around it doesn't mean that the science itself hmm. didn't work hmm. what it means is that the scientists were engaging racist practices in order to make the science happen yeah that just because there's a kind of racist history of gynecology doesn't mean that the science of gynecology doesn't do stuff yeah and doesn't have an, yeah. an effect on your body yeah you know they're not mutually exclusive hmm. Um, which I think is what the, the sort of history of science and science and technology studies mm. has kind of tried to sort of get at. Yeah. Uh, the anti-vax stuff came about, of course, in the early 90s. The Andrew Wakefield paper, if you are not familiar with this, Andrew Wakefield was was and is, he is still alive, a doctor. He isn't
0: a doctor anymore, I don't think. No,
1: he's been stripped of yeah. his... But he's sometimes kind of referred to as, as a doctor, doctor. Yeah. And in yeah. various in forms. Um, but the paper was published in the Lancet um, one of the most important uh, medical journals Mm. he said that vaccines in childhood cause autism MMR
0: vaccine particularly the MMR, measles, mumps, rubella
1: vaccine causes autism Um, and he this paper made a splash, it was peer-reviewed, mm. published, you know the the whole thing. Mm. And then uh, quite early on, other other doctors read it and thought, this doesn't doesn't seem right. The science behind this doesn't seem particularly rigorous
0: because it was made up because it was, it was made explicitly up. actually made up.
1: Yeah, he yeah. falsified his yeah. data. Uh, it's not even that his that and, and the the bizarre thing about MMR is that the or the kind of MMR controversy and the Wakefield controversy is that the the paper now has sort of taken on a a weird kind of position that, that or like item that can be debated yeah. Yeah. that his science wasn't very rigorous. No, he no. didn't do science. No, it's, yeah, it, it's not that that. We can talk about, like, oh, maybe his method wasn't so good. That's not it. Yeah. He made up his yes. data, yeah. he invented it. Yeah. And that fact I yeah. find yeah. really interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean,
0: I don't know if I can adequately explain what it was about this particular story that caught fire. You know, why are we still. 20-30 years on still talking about this because it is so clearly still so clearly influential Now there, there, there are factors that m- make it more likely for example I think you could make a case that sort of as as members of supposedly first world advanced developed societies where you have medical care and everybody has access to medical, medical care and all, all of those sort of Caveats and myths, uh, uh, having taking all of those into account, I think there is a, a sense that there, we have we've got a sort of cultural amnesia about what epidemics look like, right? Mm-hmm. So, if you go back to the first half of the 20th century, people would still remember what it what it looked like to have. Neighborhoods, communities, societies of people, children dying of the same illness at roughly the same time, Uh, but because of the success of medical technology and medical science, and in the particular context that we are we are talking about, has meant we've we've lost that cultural memory, which is why it is easier to be to become complacent about things like vaccination. I get, I, so I can understand that sort of intellectually on one level, but I don't know if I can explain why, I, can, I don't know if I can explain the the passion of the anti-vaccination vaccination movement.
1: Yeah, and why it's sort of taken off. What's really interesting about it is it's quite old. Yeah. I mean, it, it goes back to the Wakefield paper. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was teaching a couple weeks ago and I was using a photograph of, uh, Jenny McCarthy and Jim Carrey from the time that they were in a relationship together Mm. from like 2007 at an, at a, a, they don't call themselves anti-vaxxers or anti-vaccinations. They call themselves, um, it's a bit more, uh, uh, Fluid yeah. Ambiguous yeah. Um, But a kind of uh, Freedom to decide Your own yeah. Your own child Your yeah. your own child's Vaccination schedule
0: yeah. and, so, and you can choose what, yeah. you know,
1: When and how to Vaccinate They're, them. they're,
0: they're locked they're, they're, It's a whole spectrum Right There's a spectrum That goes from The one side People who don't Believe in any Vaccination ever To people who Have issues with Sort of The Normal Advised Advisable immunization schedule and program where you go like i'll give all of, I'll give all my child all the vaccines but I'll do it over like
1: a longer a long period, of period time.
0: because that will allow my precious baby to adjust
1: yeah and i mean the, the there's a few things that at play and obviously when we talk about when we talk about anti science positions mm. or positions that that actively warp or mutate scientific yeah. And critical discourse yeah. in order to put forward views that that scientific consensus generally has debunked. It, th- there's less care when it comes to specificity. There's less care yeah. when it comes to to kind of what uh, Le- Bruno Latour or mm. even Heidegger might mm. call facts. Yeah. Um, but and so it makes it more difficult to talk about, mm. I think, because. It's difficult to pick apart all the mm. different strands. There are plenty of people who believe that vaccines cause autism. Mm. Uh, Jenny McCarthy, originally famous for being a Playboy model, but then mm. went on to become a kind of actress slash entertainer in mm. various guises. Uh, you know, is quite famous for talking about you know watching her child um, be healed of his autism mm. and w- watching her child um, become become ill after having vaccines and all these things. And and then those are very emotive stories. And so, Mm. you know, there's that bit where, you you know, people will blame a vaccination Mm. for Mm. an MMR vaccination Mm. specifically for um, a later diagnosis of autism. But there's also then a whole spectrum Mm. of, well, maybe not autism, but they can't be good for you. Yeah because it's so much drugs so
0: much so many chemicals and it's not natural and And the pharmaceutical companies
1: uh are out to make a profit and they make a giant profit off of their vaccines and so they've they've sold us this lie that we Mm. need to have these vaccines and so we all buy them And the insurance companies pay for them and so it's this big racket and um vaccines actually aren't aren't as good as everyone mm. says. It's a kind of a kind of conspiracy theory like yeah. about the pharmaceutical industry.
0: And, and the odd thing is of course a lot of the I mean, we'd agree with a lot of the the points about pharmaceutical companies and profit and capitalism and, and all of those things. And it 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 in the same way we'd agree with a lot of the problems with hierarchies of knowledge and identity and positionality and subjectivity to do with science, right? So it it seems that uh, a rigorous, critical position vis-à-vis science and capitalism is being replaced with a completely uncritical anti-science and anti-capitalism. Yeah. Which is a really odd thing, and I I, I don't know if I can explain it. I don't know I don't know quite why it has as much influence as it does.
1: Yeah, I mean it is so. I think for people who... Uh, I mean, we are all more suggestible than we think we are. Yeah. Um, we are all more swayed by by positions that we think are logical but mm-hmm. are actually mm. not, according mm. to the kind of mm. structure of mm. logic. Mm. Uh, but I, th- there are so many kind of... Um, kind of discourses and I I do I do wonder how much of this is neoliberalism at work Mm. Um, partly because neoliberalism has been quite successful at incorporating Mm. what was critical or radical discourse in the 70s and 80s uh, in order to kind of anesthetize it hashtag feminism hashtag feminism mainstream feminism neoliberal Mm, feminism Um, same with uh, people call it uh, black capitalism Um it, you know, the, the kind of Hollywood trope of tapping into the the African American market in order to sell Black Panther, you know mm-hmm. uh, that kind of thing no. um it the interesting thing about the the kind of vaccines, vaccines came mm. about around the time that neoliberalism also came about yeah and, and certainly in the the kind of way that we live and experience neoliberalism mm. now.
0: yeah,
1: and so vaccines were. A public health intervention. Yeah. They were they are designed, and the way that they work is to produce herd immunity. Yeah. So they work at the population level, not the individual level. So obviously, you vaccinate your kid so that they they don't get measles,
0: but so that everyone else. Doesn't but get also, yeah. so that
1: everyone else doesn't get yeah. measles, because yeah. as you say, this the in, the the kind of shared cultural memory yeah. of all the kids dying at the same time. Mm isn't just your kid dying, it's all the kids dying. And that's yeah. a different kind of grief. Yeah. And it has a different kind of socioeconomic effect yeah. on a community. Yeah. And so the, the intervention of the vaccine isn't to save individual lives, it's to save all of our lives yeah. collectively. Yeah. But if that comes about in the 50s and 60s, that sort of post-World War II moment, great. Yeah. But you hit the 70s and 80s, yeah. and all of a sudden the it's discourse has changed. Yeah. And healthcare is not immune to that. In fact, yeah. you know, healthcare is, is, is very successfully been incorporated into a neoliberal system mm-hmm. you know pharmaceutical companies are some of the the largest institutions in the world and so the vaccine is no longer a piece of collective public health medicine mm-hmm. it's an individual piece of individual medicine and therefore you can choose it or not yeah. and it has no effect on anyone else mm. that isn't how epidemics work no it's not how germs work it's not how viruses or bacteria yeah. work mm. it's not how society works yeah really yeah but it's been the anti-vax movement I think has been quite successful because yeah. this sort of idea around mm. taking charge of your own health being in charge of your own body and your own family mm. the kind of the the impulse to mother your child as as best as you possibly can and, and that you as the mother are the expert mm. on your child mm. no one knows better than you mm. tapping into this sort of like like mother earth, mother nature, mm. mother body type mm. connection that, that has so successfully been neoliberalized yeah. and it's very um, that discourse is, is very attractive mm.
0: um, yeah I mean To the point where it's... I mean, it's against sort of interests of capital, really, isn't it? I mean, if you would think that capitalism would prefer us to buy vaccines and use vaccines. Capitalism would prefer us to be healthy and productive and...
1: The labour force. And all
0: of that. So, the the illusion of the neoliberal sovereign, individual, sovereign individual exercising their own agency is important enough as a model that it can challenge capitalism's interests in this particular example.
1: Yeah, I wonder if anyone's done, I doubt anyone's done a a kind of large-scale sort of hypothetical modeling of this, but um I mean presumably measles mumps rubella polio medication mm. Mm. W- would generate more income now than
0: vaccines than
1: vaccines that many of them are now generic so
0: possibly, yeah. th- I mean who knows who, who knows which capitalism is working
1: it's it's I am certainly not an expert on the mm. economics of the pharmaceutical industry mm. Mm. um but i don't really i'm not sure that that any of these drugs in particular are where are where the pharmaceutical industries are making their money no, anyway yeah, yeah. you know there a, a lot of it is is viagra uh, mental health care mm. uh and some of its equipment and not just mm, not mm, just drugs mm, you know mm. so um that that conspiracy theory and the kind mm. of the relationship between who's making money Hmm. Versus um, who has rights over their individual body, you
0: know. I mean, I'm just trying to think like that. Pretty much everything that we need, someone's making money off. That's how capitalism works, right? Yeah. And I'm just trying to think of another example where this this model of the neoliberal sovereign agent is can be used to critique. Our need of something based on the fact that someone somewhere is making money out of it. I mean, we don't tend to say, "Don't drink milk," because the milk lobby is making money out of the production of milk. Not in the same way.
1: Yeah, maybe GM crops, but no. Yeah. I mean, GM crops are the are the another very similar. Yeah. Uh, similar debate yeah. to the the vaccine yeah. debate i hate even calling it debate the, you know yeah. because monsanto is evil yeah and gm crops have there are aspects of the way yeah. that gm crops are are mm. are produced yeah that are bad for the environment mm. and monsanto is a, mm. a really powerful very kind of dangerous company mm. absolutely but the, the change in the genetic makeup of a crop in and of itself is, you know, scientifically, a lot of the, the fears around mm. it are, mm. are have been debunked.
0: That has been, I mean, we've been genetically modifying crops since we've For, started yeah. growing crops. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. And um, the, similarly with the vaccines, yeah. the, you know, the, the science itself was made up. Yeah. And the... Um, but there's, a, there's something interesting going on with social media as well. And this I think it relates to sort of neoliberalism mm. and the, the relationship between social media and, and its role in helping to construct the neoliberal economic mm. agent. Mm. Homo economicus, as mm. Foucault mm. called us. Mm. Um, it, it, Tom, my partner, talks about this a lot, that social media turns us into hyper-individuals, mm. um, like hyper, hyper-consumers hyper mm. um, of, of online digital content Mm, like mm, content mm, is commodity mm. and the we've talked before about the social media bubble and its role in shaping the outcomes of elections um its role in shaping political positions Mm. um and its its role in in kind of disseminating information or not as the case Mm. may be the vaccine stuff the anti-vax movement has really taken off in the last few years Um, it's been around since Wakefield but it's in the last kind of few years it's really appeared Mm. um, online Mm. and social media has done something really interesting to the information I think and it Mm. is um, not a good thing Mm. I think we would agree
0: I think um, this is really speculative on my part so it might not lead to anything but I wonder if there is here as there seems to be in most parts of our lives at the moment a Brexit parallel Uh, on the face of it you would expect Brexit to be a pro like the EU to be a pro business issue right that big business would want to avoid Brexit and one of the things that has always confused me is quite how easily apparently we ended up in a situation where Britain is leaving the EU when big business generally gets its way that's generally how capitalism works and it's not until recently given quite how awful a shitshow Brexit has become that I started thinking of Brexit as disaster capitalism and Mm -hmm. I wonder if there is a parallel here in terms of capitalism having figured out that it can do away with the measly amount of money that would be generated by getting everyone to have their vaccines and doing and being productive and figured out that there is a bigger more more meaningful profit to be had out of the series of disasters that would be caused by a widespread lack of vaccination.
1: Yeah, I mean, it kind of—it almost describes too much agency to capitalism, which is yeah. not a person; it is a system. But systems
0: have agency. But right?
1: it's an idea its in a sense, it's an ideology that that
0: yeah.
1: is the the one that currently is. Yeah. Playing out. Yeah, um, and it has it has agency i wonder though because it's so pervasive yeah if it's in some ways capitalism isn't if if we're thinking about it as as having some sort of agency yeah. or, or figuring things out
0: yeah
1: if it doesn't really have the capacity to figure things out it's just that it kind of course corrects itself yes. a bit yes. because it's the way that neoliberalism is gone yeah. is uh most of the world's wealth is now in the hands of a very small number of people and that and it's exponential the decline in the number of people that hold that wealth like the fewer and fewer people have it and there's more and more of it and it sits with them and that isn't a sustainable it's not a sustainable system. Hmm. So in order to course correct yeah. the system isn't it's not choosing to do anything. No, it's just the most logical yeah. sort of yeah. next progression. Yeah. I mean that's a say. Yeah. yeah, Except that whereas, you know, a, a kind of socialist perspective hmm. would try and course correct capitalism by injecting a bit of socialist policy yeah. into the yeah. state to kind of yeah. redistribute some wealth yeah. and then and then recharge yeah. the capital system that yeah. way. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I, I, that's what I think I was trying to say. I wasn't yeah. saying that there is there is a capitalism sitting in a room that has decided we're going to not have vaccines and therefore we'll make a lot of money.
1: Although according to a conspiracy theorist, there might be a capitalism sitting in a room.
0: What would that capitalism look like?
1: A white man in a suit, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's the monopoly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, but... And I guess that's the difference between a critical anti-capitalism and an uncritical anti-capitalism, right? A critical anti-capitalism that recognizes systems and contingencies and uh, paradoxes and complications and an uncritical capitalism that says big pharma bad, vaccines bad, chemicals bad. And and I guess, I mean, along with neoliberalism, the the other set of discourses that binds all of this together is this fetishizing of the natural.
1: Yeah.
0: Right? The, the, the uh, a particular uncritical humanism. And, and there's so many examples of this. You know, we've talked about, uh, I can't remember whether we've talked about this in, in podcasts, but you and I certainly have chats about the, the class blindness of, the privileged blindness of the organic food movement, for example. Yeah. Uh And I, We
1: have podcasted about it. Yeah. In our, our Jamie Oliver, Sugar yes, Tax episode. Yeah.
0: And and that's an example of a kind of uncritical capitalism, uncritical anti-capitalism, I mean, uh, which says GM crops bad, Monsanto bad, therefore we need to grow our own things, and whether that means that only the rich people can eat is beside the point, because it's natural and anti-capitalist.
1: Yeah yeah I mean geographer is one of the one of the, the kind of contributions that mm. political ecologists have made uh, and then uh, aspects of cultural geography have picked this up is the kind of social and cultural constructions of nature and how n- nature especially in kind of a post-enlightenment context uh, is, comes out of the the new conceptualization of of the human mm. and man as an individual that thinks of himself, and it was always a him, mm. thinks of himself himself as separate from the environment around him, and therefore mm. he could study the environment. And the environment and man are separated, mm. and therefore we now have mm. control over, mm. can can influence, mm. can. Um, intervene hmm. in nature and nature hmm. then impacts on us hmm. but as a kind of foreign actor hmm. and so so what is therefore made by man in a lab hmm. or constructed by man hmm. uh, in a city hmm. is considered to be unnatural artificial hmm. or synthetic hmm. and hmm. what is nature yeah. out there hmm. is separate, separate from I'm distinct separate, from yeah, yeah. And that, But in fact, that concept of nature mm. is as much constructed yeah. as the kind of built environment it's or course. the lab space or it's whatever course. it is. Yeah. And the, any sort of natural or mm. kind of preference for the natural mm. is a historical, a political, mm. and denies a kind of far more complicated and i would say more accurate relationship between us and the environment we aren't separate from we are part of and when you think of nature in that way vaccines are part of it
0: yeah Um, and I, i mean i would obviously say this given my my own particular intellectual prejudices but i wonder if the If the uncritical anti-capitalism that the anti-vax movement represents is somehow connected to a a a dynamic between, let's say, Marxist anti-capitalism and post-structuralist anti-capitalism, right? So it's what's what's what we've lost is the material, the materialist aspect of of. Critiquing capitalism, right? Because if if it's all at the level of language and words and discourse, then the the material chemicals that are in the vaccine that will stop us from being ill doesn't matter because it's it's the discourse surrounding Bad Pharma that takes priority. Yeah, and we don't, and because we are not challenging capitalism at the level of the material, we don't have to worry about where money's coming from and where money's going and who's put in labor and who's getting profit and any of those questions. It becomes this nebulous facts don't matter, truth doesn't matter narrative uh, which is connected to then Brexit and Trump and post-truth and all of the other things.
1: Which is, I mean, what Bruno Latour has kind of said that Mm. um, in his he wrote a paper like in 2004 and it was about climate change deniers Mm. and Mm. about how they use a lot of um, anti-science positions Mm. that kind of critique science as Mm. a a kind of capitalist Mm. stooge or scientists Mm. as capitalist Mm. stooges trying to make money and Mm. whatever, whatever. Um, That climate change deniers use a lot of that language and they pull it directly from post-structuralist philosophy. And he, he... kind of tongue-in-cheek, but also not inaccurately, he says, in particular, there's something about us Frenchmen that they <laughs> yeah. really seem to like. Yeah. Um, and he, he cites a few. He cites mm. um, he says Baudrillard and mm. um, a couple others, but mm. it, he he says everyone is kind of complicit. Everyone mm. who kind of has, has engaged in a post-structuralist project is complicit. Mm. Latour, it, it, you know, quite interestingly, I mean, he came up with, like, actor network theories, mm. which has... Has kind of been been taken to its extremes in, mm. in cultural mm. cultural disciplines like cultural geography, mm-hmm. um, but he himself is quite interested in the material and his mm-hmm. his work and mm. the, his actual case studies and, and the yeah. the context in which he's worked mm. have, have been about the material world of mm. scientific study mm. and about the the kind of creation of those material worlds as mm. being a kind of like conglomerate of. Mm of agents and objects and spaces and ideas that have mm. kind of come together to create really interesting, productive, but historically constructed scientific spaces yeah. like a lab or a hospital or, yeah. um, uh, like even like, like if you think of the large Hadron collider, yeah. the, the space of, the, of that yeah. particular piece of technology, for yeah. example, it is a, it is a, a material. Yeah fact it's a material reality Mm. and he said that one of the interesting things about science and technology studies is that everyone who works in that field recognizes the fact of an x-ray machine Mm. they recognize Mm. the the fact of a drug they Mm. recognize the kind of fact of of Mm. a a chemical process Mm. or a an invention Mm. right the the computer as an as a material object which follows a particular logic mm. due to its construction and the f- kind of physical world mm. that, that mm. limits the possibilities mm. for it they are they are taken as fact mm. they are the starting point and they're taken as real mm. but outside of science and technology mm. studies Mm-hmm-hmm. this post structuralist impulse to critique capitalism at the level of language is the dominant way of thinking about it mm. but w- When we talk about science and when we're talking about medical practice or talking about climate change or whatever it is, there are ultimately the facts on the table that scientists have gathered and collected. And sure, the process by which those facts have been collated might have exploited black or brown women. Chances are they did if we're talking about gynecology, for example. Or they might be generating profit for somebody. Or. There might not be any women around the table. Hmm. And so the facts that are on the table are limited and partial. There hmm. could be other facts that we could hmm. gather. But they are still facts. facts. Yeah. They are still items and objects yeah. on the table.
0: Yeah. And it's it comes back to that material thing, isn't it? It's the, the yeah. material importance of the fact that isn't it isn't a fact. It isn't at the level of language and discourse. No. It is the thinginess of things. Yeah. Yeah,
1: he uses um, Heidegger. Yeah, to talk about it, and he mm. the, the middle of that paper is quite challenging mm. if you're not familiar with Heidegger. Mm. But he uses Heidegger to talk about, mm. you know, the, the fact that there is a fact, yeah. and the the fact has certain characteristics, and we yeah. can recognize it as a fact, and we can sort of engage with it, and it can prove to be the starting point. And for some reason. I guess the mix of neoliberalism late stage capitalism social media and the algorithm the way that the algorithms work to generate mm. profit and not to disseminate information mm. means that we've had this kind of convergence yeah. around certain scientific scientific discoveries practices mm. um, items or facts or objects or whatever it is that have it, all of a sudden their the thinginess of them are, are challenged and of
0: course that's I mean that's ultimate. I mean, you know, all that solid melts into air, right? It's that. Yeah. That's the. That's the ultimate victory, if you like. If you can challenge the thinginess of things, if you can remove the material basis for facts and their meanings and discussions, then you kick sort of the chair from underneath any meaningful challenge to capitalism.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's scary. That's a scary thought.
0: <laughs> so do we believe in vaccines
1: I, I don't think it matters whether we believe in them or not mm. they exist and they work whether you and I believe in them or not
0: yeah I think we'd encourage all our listeners to go and vaccinate themselves and their children
1: yeah I'd like
0: so. to think we wouldn't need to <laughs> think if you're listening to us then you probably, hopefully aren't anti vaccination people.
1: If you are and would like some scientific literature that's been peer reviewed uh multiple times and is well established. Yeah. Uh we can send you some.
0: Yeah. I wonder if anyone's ever admitted to peer reviewing the original Andrew Wakefield article.
1: Tom and I were talking about this recently. Yeah. We know who he is.
0: Yeah. Who peer yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: no one knows.
0: No. I'm, I'm sure Lancet know, like someone knows yeah. somewhere. Yeah. But it's interesting how that. And you, you see this again, again and again, right? You see this in every time there is another story of a a bad peer review or like you know there was that uh, third world quarterly uh, yeah. colonialism defense of defensive colonialism article, uh, and we could do a whole separate thing about peer review, which we probably will do one day.
1: It's a little bit niche.
0: Yeah. <laughs> But it's fascinating, right because again it's so much of the you you find yourself as a materialist critical thinker in a really odd place because you accept so many of the issues with the hierarchies of peer review in the same way you accept so many of the so many of the issues with uh, a capitalist industrialized commodified healthcare system or you find you you accept so many of the problems of the iniquities of capitalism without being able to support so much of the thinking that is apparently as a result of that yeah um, you know you you have to you have to find space for the validity of scientific research that has been peer reviewed while accepting the problems of peer review yeah uh you have to accept for the the importance of medicines and vaccines while accepting the compromised nature of healthcare in a capitalist system. <laughs> uh this wasn't a cheery episode either, was it really?
1: No. Mm. But I do hope that um my vaccines will will continue to protect me for the rest of my life.
0: Yes. And I hope I'd never get chickenpox again. It is possible (laughs) to get it twice, but (laughs) that would be particularly unlucky.
1: Oh, so unpleasant.
0: Yeah. Good. Okay. I hope that was of interest. Let us know. Like our page. Send us comments and tweets on Facebook and Twitter. Uh,
1: If you are a bot, don't bother. (laughs)
0: uh we will see you next week bye bye we hope you enjoyed this episode
1: I have been Hannah Fitzpatrick
0: and I have been an Indiachar
1: you can contact me on Twitter at Dr H
0: Fitz. and me at Dr Anindya R
1: our music was provided by the agrarians and this has been the state of the theory Thank you where would we be, where would we be?